Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's Chris and Amy on KMOX. Uh, good to have you with us for the afternoon. We continue to, uh, I don't know, who knows what we're doing today. We've had, we've had quite a day it's already. It's been a with, great day. It's been a great day. A lot, a lot of Cardinals news. Well, not a lot, but a little bit of Cardinals news with the Lance Lynn signing, pending a physical, coming back for a year. Daniel Descalso is joining the coaching staff. Um, they're still finalizing all of that. And, of course, we'll keep you updated if anything else happens in that area today, tomorrow, whenever, we will have you covered as we are the home of the Cardinals. We take a moment now as we go to the Quiver River Electric guest line. And joining us is Professor Peter Castor, um, Professor of History and American Culture Studies and Professor of Law at Washington University. He is with us now on KMOX. Professor, we appreciate your time today. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. We wanted to talk to you because we got the news over the weekend of the passing of uh, former First Lady Rosalind Carter, 96 years old. She and uh, former President Carter married for 77 Mm. years. And, you know, I, I think now we pay certainly a lot of attention to what the First Lady does and the impact um, whoever is in that position holds nowadays. How was her impact on the country different than maybe her predecessors? Well, she was a more politically active First Lady than many of the First Ladies around her. And she really had an impact in two ways. One was in a public role in that she was uh, active politically. She advised her husband actively. But the other thing that I think is really important is that the Carters together gave the American public access to their private lives in ways that a lot of other first ladies really had not. And it's difficult to remember and to recapture now just how different the role of the first lady was and the privacy of the presidential family was uh, before the 1970s. Right. President Jimmy Carter had said that Rosalind was his equal partner in everything he ever accomplished. And there's an interview with Rosalind Carter from 1984 when she said she loved the political life. Quote, I loved it. I like the intrigue. I like all of it. I like getting out and meeting people and talking with them and learning the country. It was just fascinating to me. So she was actively out there as a first lady uh, even several decades ago. Exactly. And and some other first ladies had been had served public roles. Eleanor Roosevelt's one of the famous examples. And most first ladies served really important roles for uh, for their presidencies, usually serving, uh, making social connections and running uh, the White House as a household. It wasn't just that Rosalind Carter had this role in advising Jimmy Carter. It's that the two of them were public about it. It's that they said to the American public that the first lady could and should be this public figure. And, and Congress agreed. Uh, she was the first first lady 
to have a budget, to have an official White House, uh, to have a first lady staff, to be acknowledged by the whole congressional budget system as a public official. Yeah, there is an official office of the first lady now, and that that was instituted, well, the year I was born, 1977. And you mentioned the staff that she had, and it was the first time a first lady had a staff. Why did they feel the need at the time to establish such an office? Well, I think there are really two factors that were at work here. Part of it is that the Carters believed that Rosalind Carter should be able to serve a public role, and if she was going to, it was going to be important that she have a staff that would support her in doing it. But I think there was another point as well, which is coming really in the midst of the women's movement. It was a way for the administration to say that they supported that. Rosalind Carter actually resisted calling herself a feminist, but nonetheless, she had a structure around her that would claim that she advocated for women being public figures, for being active and for marriage really being a partnership of equals rather than a relationship where the husband was clearly in charge and the woman did what she was told. This role of the first lady being public, uh, active, having a budget, was that uh, the United States being rather groundbreaking or were we behind other countries in that of the spouse of the political leader having a role? So that's actually, that's a really good question. And the United States was alongside certain other countries. This is an era in which during the 1970s and 80s, the spouse of the head of government was an increasingly public figure. But in, in some cases, that was because those cultures had changed. But part of it was also because the technology made it both possible and necessary. Uh, transportation technology meant that it was easy, much easier for the spouse of a head of government to be traveling around a country, speaking on behalf of the president or prime minister's behalf, and also in an era of television. When people saw the people who led their government, it made that person much more public. And I say person, I say spouse, because this is also the era with some of the first female heads of government. And so this was a moment when, for example, uh, Margaret Thatcher Mm -hmm. and Dennis Thatcher had to decide if he was going to be a public person. And and not only was that not in his nature, but the decision was that that would be a a, a bad decision because they needed to make clear that she was very much in charge. And that was a a big point they needed to make in the UK. Uh, The the rise of those first uh, female heads of government actually made this uh, a much larger issue, whether that was Indira Gandhi in India or, of course, Golda Meir in Israel. I mean, again, it's something that's very hard to recapture for us now. But the whole notion of what men and women were supposed to do in politics was a global and public issue in the 1960s and 70s. And Rosalind Carter was a really critical player in that. Speaking of Rosalind Carter's... missions in that role. One of them was as an advocate for mental health and getting rid of the stigmas surrounding mental illness. Looking back from 77 to 81, when she was first lady, 
people were not as openly talking about mental health the way we do today. That had to have been rather groundbreaking as well. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Oh, absolutely. Mental illness at that time was something that many Americans didn't understand. It carried extraordinary stigma. And so it was immensely important for her to do it. But the other thing I would suggest is she was able to do it because that was an area where Americans were comfortable hearing first ladies take a public stand. Public uh, first ladies often spoke out publicly about issues related to children, issues related to health. And I think it's really important to see her alongside her immediate predecessor, Betty Ford, and think about how the two of them together, especially after they left the White House, talked about things that a lot of people didn't talk about. Betty Ford talked about breast cancer and alcoholism. Rosalind Carter talked about mental illness. And just contrast that uh, with the Nixons where not only was the presidential family much more private, um, but Richard Nixon's wife hated being a public spectacle and very much saw her role as uh, Pat Nixon believed her role was to support Richard Nixon privately, not to advocate on his behalf publicly. How do you believe, and and while uh, Jimmy Carter has been out of office for decades um, already. He is 99 years old at the moment, had gone into hospice care a while back. How do you think, if at all, will his legacy or the way he and, and she, the first family as a, as a package, how will they be viewed historically? So I want to begin with the fact that in the sort of the modern era, really beginning uh, with the, with the Kennedys, Every president is understood to some degree in relation to his wife. And I I just want to establish that. And then when we move to the Carters, that marriage is so important to how people think about and understand uh, the Carter presidency and Jimmy Carter as an individual. Let's Let's begin with the fact that they were more active in the post presidency era than any of the presidents around them. And she was very important in doing that. But the other thing, the other way in which the other role she plays in shaping the legacy of Jimmy Carter is to establish the notion, frankly, that people like the Carters, that they are now seen by Americans as this approachable, decent, caring, married couple. They were married longer than any other presidential couple in U.S. history. The sort of second is George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush. Um, And I think that those marriages are very important in humanizing presidents to the American public. Remember, when Jimmy Carter lost re-election, immediately afterward and in the years that followed, you know, criticism was heaped on him both for what he did when he was president and for losing his bid for re-election. And the Carters dedicated themselves 
to really important human rights issues. And they, they, they did together, they did a lot of really wonderful things. One of the results of that, and one of the results of being very public about their marriage is that that post-presidency memory kind of overshadows the criticism that people had of Jimmy Carter and of Rosalind Carter being a more public first lady, the criticism they faced uh, during his presidency. Professor Peter Castor with Washington University, we appreciate your time today. Thank you for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me. That is Professor Peter Castor, Professor of History and American Culture Studies and Professor of Law at uh, Washington University. We do expect, and I don't believe it's happened yet, we're still waiting for the release of about 44,000 hours of January 6th footage. That's a lot. It's a lot. Seems like a lot. Um, Yeah, the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, to release all of it at the urging of um, the American right. We will talk about what is to be expected with Scott McFarland, CBS News congressional correspondent, next on CBS. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.